Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. You love them, you hate them, and you can't stop talking about them. Announcers, analysts, pundits, they're all fair game. It's Sports Media Payhem with Alex Reamer. Time to let it rip. And welcome back to the show. As I was saying in the opening, very pumped to have Ethan Strauss with us here today. Uh, Ethan, how are you? Thanks for coming on. I'm I'm doing very well. Got a good night of sleep. I'm good. fired up because I've just been listening to the Edwin Diaz uh, entrance song on loop. So I'm in a good mood. <laughs> you and everybody else. Is it, what's yeah. your favorite? What's your favorite closer entrance of all time? Laura? Oh, I'm from San Diego, so it's Trevor Hoffman, Hell's Bells, and yeah. there was just something so beautifully Pavlovian about that because you would almost forget about it. I just remember being a kid right. at the old Jack Murphy Stadium, and then you hear that first uh, that first boom and everybody yep. lose their minds i just think that's such a special moment to cultivate and not enough uh teams and sports really think deeply about it and i don't want to get derailed no. before we start talking but no, for all the great things the warriors did right it, it does bum me out to a certain extent that they never captured that greatness and created those sorts of uh, indelible touchstones because i'm not sure it takes a whole lot of effort to really figure no. out how to do that Hmm. And give us something similar to what the uh, Chicago Bulls had in the 1990s with that serious song uh, that everybody loves that I actually went to a wedding where the the groom walked out to it because he was a Chicago <laughs> guy and he was a big Bulls fan. So I just think that was leaving. I don't want to say money on the table. It was leaving a little something deeper on the table. Yeah. But, you know, I think Warriors fans will take the great run and and accept it for what it was. The Celtics even did that with Garnett, though it was only one title. Mm. We had like the anything is possible uh, uh slogan even though it wasn't really a song they would play it at the garden all the time and yeah so we see that well, yeah. um so reading your Substack house of strauss if you look at the about section you write the following you pay for me to be traitorous to my brethren committed to entertaining you first and considering industry pieties last uh my question is what prompted you to start the Substack and go with that mission statement wow um I think I was getting burnt out. I think I was getting yeah. worse in my job. That, that's not the most flattering portrayal of myself, but um, I was at the athletic and covering the warriors and we had this amazing run and I 
had these coworkers that I, I just couldn't have had better coworkers than uh, Tim Kawakami, Marcus Thompson, and Anthony Slater. But uh, an unfortunate consequence of them being so good is I found myself with less and less to do and found it harder and harder to contribute. And um, I, I just found, I think the pandemic shook up a lot of us and it, it, it reframed what we were into. Yeah. And I didn't want to be one of those people who was just pretending because I think the readers and the fans can smell it on you mm -hmm. when you don't care as much about the actual game. And right. so... I wanted to take things in the direction of my interests because I naively believe that if I'm interested in something, it can be contagious. But I also think that if I'm not interested in something, I'm I'm drawing dead and it's not going to catch on at all. So I started drifting towards some of these questions about the business of the sport, the culture of the sport, a lot of these issues where everybody kind of knows, but nobody says, at least to the reader. And I wanted to go in the direction of that and see if it might work. And thank God it has. People love reading about sports media too, and media in mm. general, yeah. which definitely helps. I, I was going to ask you too, like, so you've covered the NBA for such a long time, ESPN, Athletic. Um, you wrote a book on the Warriors dynasty. I was going to ask if covering the league like that so intensely for so many years, like, I feel like that kind of has to deflate your interest a little bit, though maybe not because yeah. you have guys, as you oh, mentioned, yeah, no. who do it for decades. So, but it would for yeah. me. I think it, no, it does because it's almost just too much. It's almost too much of a great thing. And there's such an energy. There was such an energy around that team. It was almost physical. Um, the amount of buzz around them when they were at the top of the top. And the interesting thing is it was the job everybody wanted in sports. There was even an ESPN sort of in-house, the, the dream job in sports about covering the warriors. And I think I was interviewed and Mark Stein was interviewed and, um, but the funny thing about it was that it really had this, uh, quick burnout rate where, uh, Rusty Simmons, the original beat writer for the Chronicle kind of burned out and he had physical problems and, uh, Diamond LeWing just quit. He was doing it for the other paper in town and he just quit. And, um, I, I got fired in 2017. Um, but I was, you know, on the precipice of quitting as well. So there was just something to the scale of interest in sports that it doesn't, it doesn't go up like 20% because it's the team of the moment. It goes up a thousand percent. Um, and that's the, that's just the way it works. And it's potentially really good for your career. And it's cool to be at the center of things, but it's just not a sustainable, it's not a sustainable path. And I'm not trying to complain about it because I know it was really good that it happened for me. And I know a lot of people would prefer it to doing uh, whatever they're doing, but, uh, it did, it did chew people up and spit them out. And I do think that, um, it, it did have an, a, an impact of accelerating, uh, the, uh, time it would take me to maybe get less interested in the actual who wins the game part of sports. Yeah. And like, give us a little look into what your schedule was like. Cause I was reading, you wrote about Adam Schefter and the problem with on this was the title. And you tell a story about how the Warriors are chasing Durant and free agency. And then he signs with the Warriors and your bosses want you to basically camped out at a downtown Marriott over 4th of July weekend to cover it after the whole season, NBA finals, et cetera. And you know, that just seems so, so demanding. And like you read something like that and it's, if Schefter is the what you're being judged against or Woj as well, yeah. these are like cyborgs. I don't see yeah. how a regular person could compete with them, right? I mean, yeah, almost like a monk, you have to give up your life yeah, right, um, right. And, and just live this existence if you're going to do it right. And I mean, ESPN's not wrong for wanting it either. No, right. uh, not everybody can make a, 
a ton of money doing this. And the differentiating factor is just that willingness to go the extra mile. But at, at that particular moment, because I had been following the 73 win season. And so it had just consumed our lives. My wife was just, no, no, you aren't. I'm, I'm putting my foot down. You're not camping out at the Marriott with no promise of how long any of this is going to take. Um, and you do stuff like that and you do get cut out of the mix, which I think in a way is correct. I'm not a TV star, right? I'm not somebody who should be um, Peter principled in that direction. Um, but there is this sense that you're going to kill your career if you start trying to lay down the law and say, here are the boundaries. And when you're at the center of things, I think what it, 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 it inculcates the sense in you of this hyper vigilance that's not entirely comfortable and with the warriors they were so the team of the moment and when you were at a press conference and somebody said anything if i didn't write a little news story on it if it was deemed newsworthy by the espn news desk i was getting i was getting chewed out it was bad but it was very hard to know what was newsworthy because it's newsworthy nature was connected to the fame and the intense interest right. in the team right i mean i remember there was a moment where, where Clay Thompson said that he was a fan of the Harry Potter books and the news desk got mad at me for not writing that up as news. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, it's news that Clay <laughs> is fan. He's a, it, it's news that Clay is a fan of literally the most popular book. That is the news. <laughs> right, right, That's right, the news. Right, right. Okay, well, I don't know what the news is anymore, and I'm just going to be in this paranoid state of worrying every time I hear a player say anything right. that I need to run and run that up the flagpole. And th so that's what it that that's the uh, that that's the state that you're often in, and that's just one example. And I know again, a lot of fans are, are going to say that I, my job sucks. I have no sympathy. You got to follow around the Warriors. I get it. I, I get it. I get it. I'm just saying that you have that weird pressure on you of the news can come from anywhere at any moment and you're not sure what the news is and you're going to get yelled at if you don't put it out there you might go a little crazy after a while that's all i'm saying yeah totally well it's funny you mentioned uh and this maybe shows you how warped my brain is you mentioned clay thompson harry potter i'm like oh that'd be like a cute little blog post to write if you're looking for there some you go. cheap clicks but it's true and then cuz yeah. everything that they do say is news because there's also just so many people especially a team like the warriors covering every single second yes. They're so thirsty for clicks and it's not the writer's fault. I mean, it's really just being a cog in the machine, but yeah. I mean, that's why there's it's nobody's fault. That's right. the thing we need to emphasize. Right. That's the weird. It's just has this, it's almost its own animal. It's nobody's fault. The bosses aren't bad. You know, the other writers aren't bad. It's just that moment where a whale carcass falls to the bottom of the ocean and every sea creature jumps out and is trying to get as much meat off those bones as they can. And it's it's a competitive, it's just a competitive yeah. uh, sprint, basically. And uh, it's hard to hey, maybe they're getting the sustenance they need, but it's not a fun it's not a fun job at that very moment. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. You wrote a piece last week that got a lot of attention about ESPN and Adrian Wojnarowski and the Kevin Durant ultimatum. That was the biggest NBA story of the day, of the week. ESPN largely ignored it. 
until the Nets owner made a statement uh, affirming his support for GM Sean Marks and Steve Nash that night. And you connected the dots and you have a lot of sources with ESPN, but basically you wrote that Woj's tight relationship with Nets GM Sean Marks is probably a reason why the story was buried on ESPN all day. My question is, and everyone should read the piece, but my question is, how does that happen at ESPN, the biggest name in sports media, multi-billion dollar you know, company that a very important reporter's sources, yes, but still one guy's relationship with a relatively obscure GM. How does he, how do you get to that point where it affects news coverage like that? Yeah, it does have shades of the parasite taking over the host, right. doesn't it? That yes. you're supposed to have these good dynamics with your sources so you can get the big story, right? You don't, you don't then ignore the big story because you've got a good dynamic with your sources. And it to me reveals maybe a fundal, fundamental misunderstanding of what sports fans want and are into. Yes, there's this competition to be the person who beats a press release on Twitter by a, a few minutes and to tweet the news of something out first. But that's not that's not actually drawing people into the sport and making them enjoy the sport more. They want commentary on what's going on, and they often want opinion. They want analysis. And the issue with ESPN's model currently is that they are promoting breaking the news first to the detriment of those other things that people actually want. Why is it to the detriment? Well, here's why. In order to break the news first, you often need the say-so or the help from agents and from GMs um, and or from the league office. Now, in order to do that, you don't want to ruffle any feathers. So people get into this neurotic state in the company of, oh my God, we can't step on this person's toes. We can't step on hmm. that person's toes. And in the case of this particular scenario, for instance, I actually don't know whether it was dictated by Woj that... You can't touch this story because of Sean Marks. But what I do know is that Woj has jumped on people, jumped down their throats within the company when they say things that his sources don't want said. So perhaps at a certain point, hmm. the institution is paralyzed because they have a sense that certain sources are the sources that you don't really mess with. And they know that this source is involved and who knows what's going on. Maybe Woj is in Bermuda. Maybe he turned off his phone. I have no idea. And they're just all scared. And I don't think that is a good emotional space to be operating out of, to be operating out of fear when you're the biggest company with the biggest megaphone. Um, right. One guy, and people can love him or hate him, who I think operates in a different way, is Stephen A. Smith, because in some ways he's bigger than the ESPN. Yes. And so he's just going to do whatever he's going to do. And I think maybe they should take a lesson from that and adopt more of Stephen A. Smith's mentality. Um, <laughs> not, not completely, but just the mentality of, I'm going to talk about whoever if they're in the news and they are to be talked about and not the mentality of, Oh my God, we have to break a story first on Twitter. We can't offend such and such because then you're subject to this ludicrousness of not talking about the biggest story in sports because of some GM that most people frankly have never heard of. Right. And I was going to ask too, I'm always curious about how the dynamics work at a place like ESPN. Like you have Woj, then you have Brian Windhorst who maybe is a small notch below him on the insider scale, you have others under them. Is there, are there, is there a lot of communication between the so-called insiders? Are you working on this? Are you working on that? Is it, do they freelance as their own brands, if you will? How does like that whole process work? I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, there's a lot of communication. Occasionally you, you do see a double byline, um, but 
it can be a little bit complicated because if somebody is in an authority position there, the good way to do it is to supplement and shepherd and help somebody who's a little lower status to get their name out there. But sometimes it does have this quality or it can have this quality of in half baked where are you eating that fruit cup? Uh, I want that fruit cup um, <laughs> domination from the authority figure where they can put their stamp on things that maybe they didn't do the most work to get in on. Now, I can't tell you what all the dynamics uh, are there, but um, I can say that that's always a tricky thing for organizations uh, to figure out because the collaboration certainly helps when everybody can be in communication about what they know. And it, it helped when I was at The Athletic where we were trying to pool our knowledge from the people we talked to. Um, but I think at, at ESPN, there might be more of a sense of um, having to make it seem like the uh, top dogs are indeed the top dogs. And that might infect a lot of what they're trying to do there. You mentioned that a lot of this insider reporting, if you will, is just beating press releases by a few minutes at the end of the day. Why do you think ESPN puts so much value on that? Well, I think it's a pride thing and it has its origins um, years ago when John Skipper was still running the company. And during the NBA draft, Woj starts breaking who is going to be drafted before the picks are announced on ESPN on television. Right. And before the ESPN reporters put it out there and Skipper is embarrassed by that and says, look, I, I want to win this battle. And I think that is the genesis of when they gave Woj a godfather offer to leave, to leave Yahoo and come to ESPN. Now uh, that sort of thing matters to corporations. They want to seem like they're first in everything. And in fairness to them, um, I think there is this fear, especially uh, with tech this is sort of a tech mentality of if there is another corporation that is specializing in something that we aren't specializing in, it might be used as a, an eventual foothold to crush us. Right. And Yahoo has an advantage over us now in this respect. How are they going to leverage that? Is it going to be bad for us? Hmm. So I think that there, there is that fear and it informed this uh, whole pursuit of uh, tweeting out the news first. And I know if you if you read that Washington Post article on Adam Schefter, yep. they do have this argument for how it helps ratings. Right. I, I don't really believe that. Okay. I think I'm a very simple man. I look at their ratings. I see they've gone down massively since they've uh, gone about this uh, agenda. So look, if, if it matters, it's not mattering enough. It's not mattering at scale. Um, I can't do the counterfactual, of course, where I can invent some other ESPN that for years pursued a different path. And I, I, I compared the two. But my suspicion is that is that this has not been very good for them. Uh, they have had a decline in interest in their programming, and uh, they wouldn't have to make such a creative argument for why they're doing it if it was actually working. That's a really good point. And you also look at what reporting is the most impactful. Like I would say that Seth Wickersham has done the most impactful yeah. reporting around the NFL and the Patriots the last I don't know half you know half decade, and yeah. he's a real kind of old school feature writer not just wording out, you know, longer shelf life. Yeah. All yeah. People that. like that stuff. I think that there was the cynical dismissive uh, dismissiveness towards that sort of reporting, but it's popular. I mean, the athletic was built off of it. Right. Um, and they built themselves into a company off the demand for this. Uh, people do like going another layer or two deeper. So 
I think ESPN was well positioned uh, to be that voice more so, and they could have benefited from it. But instead, they went down the route of uh, trying to beat the press release. And I'm just not sure what the demand is for that. I, I don't I don't know. I don't know if it's really working. And I think the danger from their perspective that is unseen by perhaps the corporate chieftains who sign off on it and try to win this game, they can't see the externalities. They can't see the cost of winning this game. They can't see that in order to win the game, you have to compromise uh, so much of all the other stuff you do. And so you have the biggest news in sports happen. And for the entire day, uh, while it's light out, you have no information about it while everybody's looking to your website and turning on the TV to get some sort of commentary. I don't think the people running ESPN anticipated that this might be a cost of trying to win the press release game, but it appears to be so. Uh, my last thing for you, Ethan, and as I, I agree on all of that, is um, uh, obviously I have a lot of Boston listeners. Uh, Durant, the Celtics, huge story all summer long. Um, is the perception of Durant being this the most rabbit-eared guy ever is that is that as true to the reality and if so what's your favorite like example of that i know you have a few in, in your book <laughs> yeah i could talk about one from my book i mean uh <laughs> uh yeah and i have some sympathy for it by the way i i should just say before i, I talk about this that I don't think it's so divorced from what propels him to be great. And in another era, we might approvingly cite that. And we, we would talk about how Michael Jordan is such a maniac and that's part of why he's right. great. Uh, Kevin Durant wants to prove all the haters and doubters wrong. Maybe that's part of why he's great, but it does manifest itself in these ways you wouldn't expect. Um, at the athletic, I wrote about how the warriors were tailoring their offense in a way to make Kevin Durant happier. Um, and they were basing it a little bit less off Steph than they would want to, to cater to KD. And I, I was told that yeah, he is, he is livid about this article. He is really pissed off about this article. Hmm. I go, Oh boy. Okay. Let's see what's going to happen. Uh, we go into shoot around in Sacramento with the rest of the media, you know, shoot around is basically a little practice. They do same yep. day of a game in the morning. Everybody's all kind of groggy and the, the arena is empty and you walk into the arena and they're, they're getting their shots up. Uh, Kevin sh takes a shot and then the ball is still bouncing after it goes through the net. And he just storms up to me in front of the other media members. And he just starts going in on me and just arguing at me. And it's just kind of a blur and he's just so angry. And I'm just trying to say, Hey, well, what is it in the piece that you don't yeah. like, or, you know, disagree with. And finally with his voice, like shaking and angry, he goes, you don't know what makes me happy, you know, <laughs> and storms off. And then from the rest of the season on the other media members would always just crack on me that way, where if I said something they didn't like, they would yell in that tone of voice of, you don't know what makes me happy. <laughs> but hey, there's something to the honesty of that. There's something yeah. to uh, the candor of that. And there's something to Kevin Durant where he is so frustrating to deal with in so many ways. And yet nobody I know who deals with them hates him, including mm. myself. You know, yeah. this is a guy who in a press conference was basically accusing me of being bad at my job and trying to embarrass me. And I don't even hate him. Huh. So he's a fascinating guy and there's something likable about him. Despite, despite this 
inward focused. One could wow. maybe call it narcissism. And uh, I, I wish him the best. I wish him the best in this whole saga. We'll see what happens. Uh, Ethan Strauss, houseofstrauss.substack.com. Ethan, thanks for your time, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Alex.